Well, turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're continuing, of course, our study of really the Old Testament. We're going through the, the time of the nations, basically the nation of Israel. We're seeing it through the eyes of the kings. And we started, of course, with 1 Samuel, which started with Samuel and then the first king, Saul, and now the second king, David. And we've seen a lot, and this is a sad part. Uh, we're seeing the, the, the historical narrative, but we're seeing David's sin and failure. In fact, we put it together this way. This is the little card we handed out, and the card is still out there if you want to get one on the table out there. But it basically says the first 10 chapters, David in triumph. Everything is going great for him. He becomes king over Israel and over Judah and all Israel. Everything goes great. And then beginning in chapter 11, which we saw, of course, David sins, and there's trouble, and uh, really, the rest of the book is David in trouble, and we see that David's sin trouble, his family trouble, his throne trouble, even his last days. And so it's kind of a, a sad time. And what was happened? David has committed adultery. He has lied. He's murdered. He's done all those things. And we'd say, David, a man after God's own heart? How could this even be possible? I mean, this is a man that when he was 14 years old was willing to stand against some man nine feet nine inches tall and fight him off. And this is a man that had opportunities to call, kill Saul and would never do it. And and now he has committed adultery, he's lied, he's murdered. David? I mean, he's the king. Well, last time what we saw is that, uh, and the best we can understand from this time and everything, that it's been maybe a good while since David committed this. Because remember, we ended with chapter 11 basically saying, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the best we understand is David didn't confess that sin. David just tried it, tried to hide it up, tried to cover it up. And so what we're seeing is David has think, thought, I, I think I got away with this thing. You know, I had relations with this lady. She's pregnant with a, you know, coming the baby. And her husband, I, I tried to get him to have uh, relations with her so he'd think it was his baby and he wouldn't do that. So we got him killed in the battle and I've married her and a baby. So everything looks like it's covered up. I think I'm okay. But he's not okay because he did wrong and he should have confessed it. And one of the things that we understand is that when we sin and the moment we sin, the moment we know we sin, we're to confess our sin. We'll talk more about it in a little bit. But confession of sin means to tell on yourself, that kind of thing. And we'll talk more about it, but we see that he didn't do that. So God sends Nathan, a prophet of God, to him. In fact, the passage, if you remember chapter 12, verse 1, it says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet of God. And we saw that, uh, and, and, and as we look at this, we're going to see these two things. We're going to see the confrontation, Nathan comes to David, and we're going to see David's confession. And we'll see how it fits together. There's a lot in here that we can apply in our own lives and also learn from. And so let's, let's think about it. When, we'd say that uh, David's going to confess. What does that mean? Confession literally means to tell the truth. That's what an idea it means to tell it like it is. Biblically, the word to confess comes from two Greek words, homo, which means same, and legeo, which means to speak. So homo legeo is the Greek word for confess, and it means to say the same thing. So when you confess your sin, when the Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, the word confess means to tell on ourselves. So what we do is we say the same thing. We say, God, if we lied, we say, God, we lied. It's the same thing. 1 John 1, 9, tell on yourself. And that's what confession is. So when you confess your sin, it's not just saying, I'm sorry for whatever I did. You say, I lied and I know that's wrong, or I did this, or I did this. That's what confession is. We're going to see that David confesses. He deals with it. This morning, we're going to see that, and we're going to see the grace of God. We, there are consequences. 
There's always consequences to sin, but we're going to see the grace of God. This all ties in to what, what's going to happen, and we'll see it. So what has David done? He's committed adultery, he's lied, and he's murdered Uriah the Hittite. Now, David could think, I didn't murder him. I see him in the battle. I told Joab to pull the people back and let him get killed by the Ammonites, so I didn't kill him. He got killed in battle. The truth is, he killed him, and we'll see how, what God says about this. Well, chapter 12, verse 1, here's what we see. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, we saw this last time, and we saw the story. Nathan comes and says to David, I need to tell you something. And he starts telling a story about a rich man and a poor man. And David probably thought, okay, this is something that's going on right now, and he's giving me information so I'll know, and I'll have to make a decision about this. Now, Nathan is actually making up a story, but David probably thinks it's a real story. And he tells him there's a rich man and a poor man in one of the cities, and the rich man has all kind of cattle and everything else, and the poor man, all he really has is a pet lamb. And one day a visitor comes to the rich man, and instead of the rich man getting all his stuff, getting any of his stuff, he goes over here, gets that man's pet lamb, and kills him and eats him. And, of course, when David heard that, he thought, that man deserves to die. He was right. And then he goes on to say, and he's got to pay back fourfold because we know under the Mosaic law, if you stole somebody's lamb or sheep or something, you had to pay back four more. You had to pay back by four. And so David, when he understands this, boy, he goes, he gets so mad. Chapter 12, verse 5, when David's anger burned against this man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. So he's, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And yet, David doesn't realize it's about him. He's the rich man who took the poor man's one thing. And, of course, Nathan's not going to let him get away with it. And in confrontation, look at chapter 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. He said, you're the man. You're the man who had everything, and you're the, one, you're the man that took that one thing from the poor guy. You're the king of Israel. You had everything, and you took Uriah, one of your soldiers, and you took his wife. You are the man. Well, that's a confrontation, and that's a tough one. And we said that Nathan's very brave because being the king of Israel... David could say, you're dead. You're a dead man. And he could kill him. He thinks, I could cover this up more. I'll just kill this man, and maybe nobody will ever know. Who knows what's going to know? Well, we realize this confrontation, as we think about a confrontation, we realize that there are times for confrontation within the body of Christ. Sometimes things happen that we confront one another. You know, we said that, we talked about this in more detail last week, and we said sometimes people hurt us. And according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, let love cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes we just say, I know they hurt me, but I'm not going to worry about it. I, I love them, and I'm just going to let love cover over it. But then there are sometimes in the body that there's sin, there's things that have to be dealt with. And we really, there's two things in Matthew chapter 18. It says if somebody actually sins against us, we go to them. And, and we go to them one-on-one, -on -one. and this is one of the deals that we talked about last week. And we said, listen, if somebody hurts you and you're really upset about it, Go to that person directly one-on-one. -on -one. You don't go and somebody hurts you and you start telling all your friends, you see what they did to me? You see what they did to me? No, no, no. Nobody else is supposed to know. You're supposed to go one-on-one. -on -one. And we talked about that. Matthew 18 gives you the steps and the plans on how you deal with that sort of thing. We also saw in Matthew chapter 5, sometimes we may realize that we've done something wrong to somebody else. And it says when we recognize that, we go to them. And so sometimes there is confrontation. Sometimes we go to a person. The whole purpose for all of this is restoration and purity, that everybody get back together and there'd be purity in the body of Christ. Now, Nathan is coming to David, and he said, you're the man. 
And uh, you can almost see David stop in his tracks and realize, I am the man. I did it. And, and before we go further, I want, I want to put you, this, we're going to see the confrontation and we're going to see he reminds David of God's blessing. He tells of David's sin and he declares God's discipline. Now remember, Nathan's a prophet of God. He's got direct revelation from God because the truth is this, Nathan didn't know what David had done. David didn't tell Nathan. We know Joab knows, and we know a few of the servants knew what he's done, but Nathan is a prophet. He's not supposed to know, but God has revealed to Nathan, the prophet, everything that's happened, and he's going to tell him, and we're going to, to see it, and it's, it's pretty powerful. So put yourself in David's place that you thought you'd gotten away with it, and then this man, this prophet of God who you know, and he's your friend, he's been your friend, and he starts telling you the story, and you say, well, that guy, he's a bad guy. He deserves to die. He's got to pay back fourfold, and Nathan says, you're the man. You're the man. You're the one. And then Nathan's going to give him more of information. He's going to remind him all that God has done. So let me read for you. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is what God says. It is I, the God of Israel, who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I, almighty God, who delivered you from the hands of Saul. I, God, also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I, God, gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I, God, would have added to you many more things. So he reminds him of the blessings. And let's look what what they are. First of all, he said, I made you king over Israel. Notice he says, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. When David was 14 or 15 years old, God set him apart at that age, came with, uh, with uh, Samuel, and Samuel anointed David as the king of Israel. Now, it would be, uh, it would be at least 15 years before David became king, because David became king when he was 30. But he said, I made you king over Israel. He didn't have to make David king. He did. He said, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. As we studied those passages in 1 Samuel, how many times did Saul have a chance trying to get to David and he could never get to David? What was so amazing, we said that Jonathan Jonathan could find David and and David's family could find David and the mighty men could find David, but Saul could never find David. That's because God protected him. He said, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. The third thing he says, I gave you your master's house. That means Saul was the king of Israel and he's gone. He's dead. He's no longer the king. David has taken over. David is, has the house of the king and everything. And he's, he's the ruler. He said, I gave that to you. And then he said, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. That means you've united the whole nation around you. I mean, this is unbelievable because remember when David first became the king, only the tribe of Judah followed him, and it took seven years before everybody came together. So he says, I've given you all these things. And then he says something else. He says, and if that had not been enough, if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Wow. Let me ask you a question. If we stopped right now and I said, everybody get out a piece of paper, and I want you to start writing down, all the things God has done for you, how he's blessed you. You'd start out and you'd say, I need another sheet of paper, right? Because you're just going to start writing it down, how he's blessed you, how he's taking care of you, he's giving you eternal life, he's giving you the Bible, he's giving you your family, he's giving you, he's giving you everything. I mean, you start writing down and we go, my gracious, he's done everything for me. That's what God did to Nathan to tell David, David, do you remember what I've done? 
I took you when you were a boy, and you, I anointed you to be king. I kept you safe. I gave you the kingdom. I let you rule over all of Israel and Judah. I've given that all to you. Think about what God has done for us. Think about it. He's given us eternal life. Not, not by, we earned it. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything. In fact, we're all sinners, and we fall short of the God, glory of God, and we can't save ourselves. And so God says, I'm going to send my son. He's going to die in your place, pay for your sin. He's going to conquer death by rising from the day, and I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. That's the grace of God. He's given us that. He's given us eternal life. He's given us the power to serve. He's given us the word of God. He's given us security. We've given us the fellow believers. He's given us spiritual gifts. We just start naming some of these things. We go, good night. We've got everything from God. Go back in your life. And the longer you live, the longer, the more you can go back and go, wow, I, I remember that. And I, I remember what he did here. And I remember what he did here. And I remember what he did here all the way through. That's what he does. So he says, David... Look what God has done for you. Well, it gets, it gets bad because he's going to tell of David's sin. And look at verse 9. He says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. And therefore, and, and I'll just stop right there. Look what he said. He's, look what you've done. And I want you to think about it. What is David saying? Here's the first one. He despised the word of God. Now, what does that mean? That, it doesn't mean like, oh, I hate the Bible. Despise means to overlook it. Despise means to, to act like it's nothing. When Jesus went to the cross, it said he, you know, they put him on the cross and he despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's in the book of Hebrews. He says despising the shame. That means look, counting as nothing. I, I, the shame of dying on the cross, Jesus says, I count as nothing. It says, David, you counted as nothing the word of God. And you realize that when me and you sin, and I sin, and you sin, and when we do, what we're actually saying is, the word of God doesn't mean that much. I'm overlooking the word of God because it says don't do this, and I'm doing it anyway. And we're despising the word of God, and that's what David did. If you said, hey, David, let me ask you a question. Is it right to murder somebody? He'd go, of course not. Is it right to commit adultery with somebody? David said, well, of course not. But when it came down to it, David said, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what sin is. Sin is when you and me, we decide. We decide what we're going to do. And we say, I know what the scripture says, but I choose to do this. And God says, you despised, you looked past, you overlooked, you pushed down the word of God. He allowed his desires to overshadow the word of God. That's what we do when we sin. We allow our desires, our flesh, our pull to do wrong. We allow it to overcome and go past the word of God. There's the second thing he said. You killed Uriah with the sword. Now David could say, wait, wait, no, wait. I didn't kill him. Uh, he, went, he got killed in the battle. Look what this says. He says, you have struck down, this is in verse 9 again, you have struck down Uriah with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. He said, you killed him because you put him in the battle, and on purpose you told Joab to pull the people away and let him get killed in the battle. You killed him. Because David probably in his own mind tried to justify it and say, well, I didn't really kill him. He just got killed in battle. No, he got you killed him. You put him in the front. You told Joab to tell people to back up. You told him that he would get in the hardest part of the battle and that he would get killed. 
God says, you killed him. And the third thing, you took his wife. You took Uriah's wife. It says, you have taken his wife to be your wife. Murder and adultery. By the way, under the Mosaic law, which they're under, both murder and adultery is punishable by what? By death. David, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the one that we love, the one that we followed all this time saying, oh, I love him, he's so great. He deserves to die. Have you sinned? Have I sinned? Wages of sin is what? Every one of us in this room deserved to die. Jesus Christ died in our place. The, the just for the unjust, taking our sins upon himself, paying that penalty so that we don't pay for it. He paid for it, and he offers to us the gift of eternal life. As a believer, we have eternal life. Sometimes we sin as a believer. Guess what? When you sin, you know what? You deserve to what? We deserve to die. But God in his grace, he doesn't kill us. He lets us live. David, as the king of Israel, deserves to die. Wow. He despised the word, killed Uriah, took his wife. Now, God's discipline. This is the part I hate, and I know you do too. Look what he says, verse 10. Now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. That means you overlooked me. And you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly. I will do the same thing for all Israel and under the sun. Look what he says. Here's God's discipline. First of all, the sword will not depart from your house. The sword will not depart from your household. Do you know what that means? There's going to be conflict and problems and issues all the rest of your life. There's going to be death and sorrow and sadness. Do you know that David is going to lose four sons? Remember what did the law say? If you stole somebody's lamb, you had to give back four. He says, you stole this, you're going to pay back four. And we're going to see it as we go through the passages. We're going to see what happens. He said there's going to be conflict and problems, and David would lose uh, four sons. He's going to, the baby and a guy named Amnon and Absalom and Adonijah and all these things, that's the four sons. It's going to happen. He says, second thing is evil will be in the household. He says, and I will rise up evil against you from your own household. His son Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Absalom kills Amnon. Absalom rebels and is killed. He's going to lose two of his sons right there. And all of this is happening. And we're going to see something. I'm going to bring it out when we get to it. When all this happens, what does David do about it? Absolutely nothing. You know why? Because David committed this kind of thing. And David also did this right here too. We're going to see it. He says, there's going to be issues in your house. And, and it will never depart. Notice, from your own household. And here's the third one. And this is strange, but it's the third one. He'll take wives in public. You know what's going to happen? Absalom's going to claim to be king. And David has to run for his wife. And while he's running for his wife, Absalom takes David's wives and women, brings them outside, puts them up on a roof of a building, puts a tent there, 
puts the women in there, and then he goes publicly in there and has sex with them, showing that he's the new king, because that's his women. It's going to happen publicly. God says to David, you did it in secret, verse 12, you did it secretly, but I will do this before all Israel and under the sun. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We're supposed to confess our sin. That's the plan. But you know what? There are consequences. Realize that when we sin, there are consequences. We do not get away with sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mine. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Sometimes God is so gracious to us in some of the discipline that we get when we sin. And sometimes, like David's life, we see David as the king of Israel, a very powerful man, probably the most important man in the whole nation of Israel, God's own representative to the world. And when he did this, God says there will be punishment and there will be dis- discipline. There will be consequences to sin. And it always is. Always is. And I hate that too. But at the same time, I'm glad. Because whom the Lord loves, he does what? Chastens and scourges every child he received. Your heavenly Father, lo- he loves us, me, and you so much, he will not let you get away with sin. He will not let you live in sin. He will discipline. He'll discipline us. He's going to do that to David. What is David's response? David could say, would you get out of here? I don't know anything what you're talking about. You're nothing anyway. You're just a prophet, and you're not even a real prophet probably. That's not what David does. David confesses. He does what we're supposed to do. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David admits that what he's done is wrong. Now, he should have done that immediately. Should have done that a long time ago. Some people say that there's been about a year from the time that he committed the sin with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed to this time. We don't know how long it is. Many say it's a long time. But he says, I have sinned. I want you to see something. Hold your place and turn to Psalm 51. Flip forward in your Bibles to Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is the the psalm that David wrote when this happened. Happened. It's a psalm that he wrote, and in this psalm, he confesses his sin. And you see it. Now, if your Bible's like mine, I hope you're there. It's Psalm 51. <clears throat> if you notice that under, if your Bible's like mine, under Psalm 51, it has this little statement. It says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, in our Bibles, that's usually a little deal, and then that's like a little statement, and then it starts verse 1. In the Hebrew Bible, in a lot of the Psalms in the Hebrew Bible, that statement, a Psalm of David, that's actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. So most Hebrew uh, passages have, a extra, they have a more, one more verse than our Bible. So be careful. If, if you were to look in a Hebrew Bible, it, the, wor- the, the verses don't always match up exactly right. But here's what this says. This is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Look what he says, and I want you to see it. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. He's confessing it. Blot it out, Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. O Lord, take it away. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I know it's there against you, and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You're justified when you speak. You're blameless. He's saying, God, I know it. I did it. I blew it. It's wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I blew it. Oh, God, help me. Wash away. Cleanse me. 
That's what God does. And then look at verse 7. He says, purify me with hyssop and I'll be clean. He's saying, wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Do you know when you confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you, guess what? You're white as snow. No sin. No, 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 nothing. It's just, that's what he says. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. He's saying, "Uh, I haven't felt good. You know when you sin and you don't deal with it, guess what? Sometimes it affects you physically. We know it affects you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Sometimes it affects you physically. David says, my bones have been broken. He said, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. That's verse 11. By the way, in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit, had no, that was not an indication of salvation. Now, when you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you, and you're saved forever. Holy Spirit never leaves. In the Old Testament, you can be a believer, have the Holy Spirit come upon you, and leave. That happened to Saul. David is saying, because of my sin, don't take away the Holy Spirit, meaning don't take away my power to rule. It has nothing to do with salvation. And then look what he says to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice, he doesn't say, he, he says, restore the joy of salvation. He doesn't say, it's not salvation, but he doesn't say, oh, please give me back salvation. He says, please give me the joy of salvation. When you have sin in your life, you know what? There's no joy. You can might be happy. Ha- happiness deals with situations and circumstances, but joy deals with the fellowship with God. And when you're out of fellowship with God, you're not going to have any joy. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay, go back to 2 Samuel. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I want you to see the grace of God. Now, we said this, that under the Mosaic law, if you committed murder or adultery, what was the consequences? You were to die. Look at the next pass, verse, verse 13. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. It's gone. By the way, where is your sin? It's gone. It's on Jesus Christ. Every sin of every human being, past, present, and future has been placed on Jesus Christ. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. God says to David, or Nathan telling it to him, The Lord has taken away your sin. Now look at the next part. You shall not die. That's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. What's the ways of sin? We sin. Can we die? It's the grace of God. You don't die. It's the grace of God every day that we get up and live and sin and move in contrary to him, and he doesn't put us to death. It's his grace. It's his grace. You shall not die. I have sinned. God has taken away your sin. You shall not die. It is the grace of God. See, under law, David was supposed to die. But God says, no, I'm going to show you grace. And for every one of us in this room, God deals with us in grace all the time. By grace, we have been saved through faith. Now, hold your place again and turn to Psalm 32. Okay, we saw Psalm 51. Turn to Psalm 32. This is another psalm that David wrote at the same time, Psalm 32. And I want you to see David's response when he realizes that God has forgiven him and dealt with his sin. 
And this should be our response. Because when we sin, we say, oh, Lord, I admit that I did wrong. I see it. As you say, I say the same thing you say. I did this wrong. And God says, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look what David says, Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins is covered. God takes care of it. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. And then he says in verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body groaned. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I had a fever. Then he said in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I didn't hide. I said I did it. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what did you do? You forgave the guilt of my sin. That's what God does. What do we do? We confess. By the way, that's 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. The if there in the Greek means if maybe we will confess them, maybe we won't. David didn't for a long time. The moment you sin, what should you do? The moment you sin, you should confess your sin. If you confess your sin, tell on ourselves he's faithful and just, that's his character, to forgive us and to cleanse us and put us right back into fellowship with him and to wash us clean. That's what he does. That's what we're to do. That's what David has just said in Psalm 32. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I wish the passage ended here, but it doesn't. Verse 14. Remember what he said to David? You did it. I gave you all this stuff and you did it. And there's going to be consequences in your household. And David said, I did it. And Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, verse 14, because by this deed, by what you have done, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Because you've given this, and people can say bad things about it, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. He said, you've given opportunity for people to bless from the Lord. And that happens. And sometimes people say, you Christians, y'all talk about Jesus and everything. And look how you live. Sometimes how we live gives people an opportunity to say bad things about Christianity and Christ. I read a study the other day. It said, to, this is to unbelievers in the United States. And they said, what is your view of Jesus? 72% of unbelievers in the United States, they had a very positive view of Jesus. They said, Jesus is great. 72%. They asked those people, what is your view of Christians? 31% that they're okay. They love Jesus. They just don't love us. Because in our culture, everybody knows what we're against, but not what we're for. And we need to be telling people what we're for, not what we're against. Everybody says, well, you're against this, and you're against this, and you hate this, and you do that. I said, no, no, no. Our goal is to proclaim the greatest message of all, that God loves every human being and anyone can have eternal life. That's what we're for, not what we're against. He says, David, you've given an opportunity for people to say bad things about God. Sin damages the testimony. And then he says, the child shall die. You understand that sin is never in a vacuum? We don't just sin and we say it only affects me. Even if people don't even know, it affects other people. It affects you. It affects you. It affects your relationship with God. It affects your fellowship and relationship with other people. It does it. It's never in a vacuum. We'll end with the very first part of verse 15. 
So Nathan went to his house. It's a sad time. It's a sad time. Nathan confronts David, you're the man. He says, all God's blessed you. You've sinned. Here's God's discipline. David confessed his sin, but there are consequences, and it's going to affect the baby, and it's going to affect his family. So let me quickly give you some applications. Let's realize that the, the blessings that we have in our Savior. Listen, David, when he said to David, look what God's done for you. And if we stopped every one of us in this room and we said, look what God has done for each of us. Go home, get out a piece of paper and say, okay, I'm going to write down God's blessings to me. You'll still be doing this like a couple of weeks from now. You'll just still be writing them down because as you start thinking, you go, well, he's done that for me. He did that for me. He did this for me. When I was nine, he did this. When I was 15, he did this. When I went off to college, he did this. When I did this, it's our life. He saved us by grace through faith. We have the security. We have the power to live. We have spiritual gifts. That's just a few things. We've got the body of Christ. We've got the word of God. We've got everything. Think of all that he's done for us. Let's deal with sin in our lives. What do we do? When we sin, confess it. 1 John 1, 9. Confess it, telling ourselves. God's grace will cover. God's grace will forgive. Anna Withall Smith wrote this. She said, when we are forgiven and cleansed, the moment we confess, it seems strange we might think that God would make us feel sorry for a couple of days and maybe make us confess it many times. What God says is when you confess it, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive you and cleanse you. When? Right then. See, sometimes we do this. We say, oh, God, I, I did it. I'm sorry. I did it. I did it. Oh, oh I'm terrible. Oh, golly, I'm so sorry. I did it. I did it. I did it. Let's see, three days later, I, still, I did it. I did it. I did it. What God says is, what are you talking about? I've already taken as far as the east as the west. Why do you keep saying this? We feel like we just got to be sorry and, and we just got to you know, feel really bad for about a month. No, he wants us to confess it, forget it, and go on and, don't, and, and forsake it. Don't do it. Let's realize there are consequences to sin. Sowing and reaping. We lose fellowship. God disciplines us, we have a loss of testimony, and other people are affected as well. Let's remember God's blessing. Let's deal with sin in our lives, realizing that there are consequences, but God loves us, and he's a God of grace.